0: Welcome to First Baptist Wiley. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or give online at fbw.church. Hey, faith family and friends, this is Pastor Chris. And it's hard to believe so many things have happened in our world in the past few days, right? We have a new president and um, he's been inaugurated. And so we pray for him and we pray for our nation as it moves forward. And I believe that you and I are at a place in the history and the life of the church and in this church particular, where you and I must once again think about what does it mean to be the church? You know, I love what Andy Stanley said. I read it a couple weeks to you. I'll read it again. It says, Jesus is the hope of the world and the local church is the vehicle of expressing that hope to the world. Jesus died for the church. Jesus established the church. It's the church that will go on into eternity in the future. You realize that. And I think it's incumbent upon us to, to think hard and biblically about what it means to be the church because let's just be honest, there's a lot of personal preference that begins to filter in when we think about church versus what is truly biblical principle as to what defines a church. And I would tell you that COVID-19 has been the great evangelical reset in our nation. You realize that before COVID-19, there was about 55 million people that attended church out of the 350 million people or so that occupy the United States of America. That number has not really gone up since the 1950s, but we have seen that 55 million dwindle in record proportions over the last 12 months. In fact, I would tell you that some things have fundamentally changed with the church in America. It's not just our meeting together, but quite honestly, I believe that we've been more motivated by fear than ever. Now, I want to be real careful when I say this, because there are some people who have legitimate reasons for staying out of uh, worship in the way that we have known it historically, where we gather together in mass groups. But you understand disease is not new to the church you know, in the first and third centuries there in Rome, uh, it was the Roman nation that was just eaten up by, in their large cities, these plagues, these pandemics. And it was Christians who were noted that ran into those cities to take care of those who needed care, the sick. They took care of the sick. They buried the dead. That's the whole reason why when you look back at Um, in in churches, and you look at denominations, most of our major hospital chains were attached to a a denomination of a church. Why? Because we value human life. You say, why is that important? Because I would say that we have, and we would just have to own this, that we've become a lot more scared over these months. Some of that, I really believe, has been drawn out out of the media, and some of that is we have kind of forgotten where we come from. You know, Job 14.5 says it like this, Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. You do realize that whether it be a car crash, cancer, COVID-19, or something else, there is a checkout date for all of us unless Jesus comes back. And I want to challenge the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to put away fear and put on faith as we move forth and forward together. I have one point to drive home with you and it's simply this, a divided world needs a united church. Would you say that with me? A divided world needs a united church. Uh, There's a couple of texts I want us to focus on as we look at this. One is found in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 and the other you will find, you can put your finger there, is in Acts chapter 2. But say it with me, a divided world needs a united church. See, a divided world needs a united church, so understand the dynamics. Notice what it says in Matthew sixteen eighteen. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, Peter has just identified who Jesus was. Jesus asked the question, he said, who do the who do the people say that I am? And, and the people and his disciples said, some people say, you're Elijah, you're John the Baptist, one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus, after Peter makes identification, he talks about uh, the, the, the first time it's even mentioned that he is gonna establish this thing called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And that this was gonna happen in the future. In fact, the whole reason that Jesus ascends to heaven Right, he ascends to heaven. He goes up, so the power, the Holy Spirit, will come down, and he will constitute this thing called the church. But Jesus tells us three things about the dynamics of this church. I think are imperative that you and I understand. The first one is this: it's a people, not a place. It's a people, not a place. When I was growing up, my my mimi she taught me this little little deal. Maybe you learned this too. Uh, she said, uh, "Here's the church, and there's the steeple. Open the door, and there's the people." see, the church is a people, it's not a place. When I was growing up, um, I used to leave my world and I used to go to the church. So like, it was a property. It was, in my town, it was on Travis Street. And when we would leave my house, I would go to Travis Street and we would go to the church. And there at the church, we sat on furniture we never sat on at home because we sat in pews and we sang songs that we really never sang in any other place. And we kind of talked in some Christianese that quite honestly, we never talked about outside any other place, school or home or wherever else really. And I, it, was a, it was a place and it was also a program. It was like an event. And so we would go and we would be a part of this thing at the church. And so maybe it was a kid's choir, or maybe it was a student, whatever it was. And here's why I wanted, I wanted you to understand, the church is people. The church is the called out ones. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, He's called you out not to just go to have another thing to do once or twice or whatever days a week no for you to live out this thing called the gospel that he's placed in it here's the second thing uh, the church is Christ's it's his because he says this, I tell you you're Peter and on this rock I will build my church. that is huge. you know over the years i've I've heard people who've who've referred to of uh, the church is, you know, that's my church. In fact, we have every year, we have an emphasis called, I love my church. Now, I want you to understand something. We say, I love my church. It's not in the possessive sense. It's more in a practical sense. Like I can give an example, next to my house, there's a 7-Eleven and I go to that 7-Eleven a lot. In fact, that's my 7-Eleven. And so I go to my 7-Eleven, I get gas. I go to my 7-Eleven, get a Slurpee. I go to my 7-Eleven, get whatever it is I want to get. Do I own that 7-Eleven? No, it's not my 7-Eleven but it's mine because practically it's where I go to do that. In the same way, you and I don't own the church. Like it, we have no say as to how it really ought to go. You do understand that there's the reason so many churches in America have declined and plateaued and have, and have closed up. You know, it's, there's some uh, statisticians that say 3,500 churches a month close up in America. Why? Because people repossessed what was not theirs. You didn't die for the church. I didn't die for the church. Jesus died for the church. It is Jesus' church. And if it's going to succeed, it's going to happen because Jesus is going to let it succeed. You see, it's also, notice this, it's not just a people and it's not a place. And it's not just Christ, but notice this, it's expanding. It's growing. Because he says this, upon this rock, I will build my church. I build my church. In fact, I would tell you this, Jesus can't imagine a non-fruit-bearing church. Jesus cannot not imagine a non-fruit-bearing Christian. You know, what do you mean by that? Well, Jesus says in John 15, 2, he says, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, um, I'll just say this. Before COVID, we were a church about 2,100 people regularly in our campus. We know after, through the aftermath of all that we're dealing with, and now we're still in the middle of a pandemic, and there's, uh, there's uncertainty about that. We are probably not as large. No church is as large as it used to be. And I believe we've experienced the great evangelical pruning because the stage is set for growth to occur. God wants to grow back bigger and stronger, and I really and truly believe better. You see, the church... It's a people, not a place. It's Christ. It's expanding. And notice this. It's offensive. It's offensive. You go, whoa, whoa, I don't really like that. It says this, And the gates of hell shall not prevail. You see, when you talk about gates, it's this, that the enemy, the devil, has been given some a certain amount of dominion in this particular time in which you and I live. And he sets up these gates, these little strongholds, if you will, out here in the world. And it says this, and the gates of hell will not prevail. The idea is this, is that we're the believers. The church are an invading army. And we're going to topple. We're going to open up the gates. We're going to topple the works of the devil. And that's what he would have us to do in these days. I love what J.R.R. Tolkien, who gave us the Lord of the Rings and and such, he says this, there is some good in this world. And it's worth fighting for. You understand that the church is offensive. Now, I don't want to be offensive, but it's offensive. And I can tell you this: if you and I live according to what the scriptures said, we uphold the biblical standard that uh, God would have us to uphold. Then, don't you realize that we will have people that will probably not like us? Don't you realize as we move further and, forward, and, and, and move forward together? Don't you realize that if we just believe the words of what this Bible says, then there will be people who say that we are narrow-minded, that we are bigoted, that we are out of touch with culture, there will be people who will try to censor what we say, there will be people who try to subjugate our opinions. And don't you realize that that is exactly what happened to the first church there in the book of Acts? Because once you get into uh, the book of Acts and you start re- recognizing and reading about the early church, what you realize is that, They're just a few chapters in, and they're already being forced out of Jerusalem. They're already being spread out around the world. Why? Because people don't necessarily want to hear what Jesus has to say. See, a lot of people, even secular people, like Jesus. They're just not totally big on Him reordering their lives by way of His mandates. And you see, a a divided world needs a united church. Say it with me. A divided world needs a united church. And I just believe that God has put us, all of us here for such a time as this. See, a divided world needs a united church. Say with me, a divided world needs a united church. So what makes a church? In fact, what constitutes a church? Because today you see the church lived out in lots of different forms. I mean, we can go into some urban areas and we would see churches that meet in coffee shops. Um, we can go into across our metroplex and there are even some churches that meet in homes. They're they called house churches. Um, obviously, you can come to a place, a physical place like our campus, and uh, there would be an expression of church that goes on there. And once again, I would want to just get you to realize that it has nothing to do with with a place or program or anything of that it has to do with a people. But what are the fundamentals? What are the essential elements that that constitute, that make a biblical New Testament church. Uh, well, notice with me what it says here in Acts chapter 2, verses 43-47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and the breaking of bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, and praising God and having favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, you have to understand, if you read the verses that precede this, here's what's going on. Jesus, after he ascends into heaven, he tells the people, uh, about 120 of his followers, to, to wait there in Jerusalem because the helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to descend upon them. So 120 people are up in an upper room, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit descends upon those people. Remember, Jesus goes up, so the power of the Holy Spirit will come down, and He fills those people. And Peter, one of his apostles, one of his inner circle, he goes and he preaches a message at an event called Pentecost, and at Pentecost 3,000 people come to know Christ. 3,000 people on the first day that the church is ever birthed and born are brought into the church. And if you read through the book of Acts, you realize very quickly it, the number grows to like 5,000 people. And if you realize that by the end of the first century, uh, there in, in that particular city, about 25,000 people uh, were Christians. And by the third century, by the time emperor constantine christianizes rome there's about two million christ followers all across what was the known roman world and so this church it was this movement and it didn't have buildings like we're used to and it didn't even have paid clergy or or staff like we're used to i mean these were simple people uh they were just doing this together and uh, god blessed it and you say so so then what is it that really makes a church I would submit to you there are really five things, five elements, five uh, dynamics, these, these characteristics that make a true New Testament church. And the first one is this, is that they gather together. They gather. They gather for worship. And it happens regularly. In fact, you, in that text right there, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread. And day by day, attending the temple. I mean, you see that word, and day by day, they attended the temple, the, the first type of meeting that this, this group of early believers had, is they had a large meeting. It was a corporate worship meeting. And uh, it, it only makes sense that we would be about God's worship because God is always about his own glory. In fact, in Psalms two three, it says this, yet you are holy and on the praises of Israel. And that's why in Hebrews 10.25, we're told this, let us not give up a meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, corporate worship is essential to our spiritual connectedness, one to God, but also to one another. It is a mark of the New Testament church. You say, why is that so important? Let me tell you why that's so important. Because you realize heaven is not going to be all like you. You know, I'm a a middle-aged Anglo man. And let me just tell you something. Heaven is not going to look like me. In fact, the Anglos are going to be a pretty small section of heaven when you really look at all the nations, tribes, and tongues of the world. And that's why every church ought to become as racially diverse, as integrated as possible, because the more colors and the more cultures that there are, listen to me, we look more like heaven. And it's imperative that you and I go to church because why? When you're missing, we're missing a part of heaven like if you're planning on being in heaven one of these days because you're part of God's family don't you understand he wants you to know that family now i've heard some people say well you know i, I i'm all I'm, I'm a christian but i I'm, I'm just not all about the about the institutional church i'm just not all about the big gathering well then i will just be blunt with you friend you may not be what you profess because if you love jesus you automatically are in his family and if you love him you have to love his family so one of the characteristics one of one of these Attributes we see is this that the church gathers. Here's the second thing the church does: the church grows. There's there's growth. It says right there they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and breaking the bread, and they did this in their homes. Um, so we see that this there's this large group dynamic that's in the temple, but then the oikos or the home. There's this small cluster of, of believers, and here's what they're doing: they're they're, they're taking the, the teaching of the apostles and they're and they're room they're just just sharing that and they're just digesting that as a group of people while they by the way are having food together they're they're doing life together you know in the in the hebrew culture whenever a person was invited into a person's home it wasn't just hey let's have some food it was it was truly an act of worship because one of the most sacred places in a in a hebrew home is the table and it's at the table that life really happens. It's at the table that deep conversations occur. It's not just meal sharing, it's life sharing. And don't you realize that you have been made for this kind of fellowship? First Peter 2 says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk that, that by it you may grow up into salvation. You see in the home you think about your own homes if you've ever raised children you know at one point in time your kid was in a high chair but eventually they make it into you know their big boy chair and eventually they they go from at thanksgiving from the kid table to the adult table why because they grow up and we do that in that oikos we do that in that small cluster and here's the best part about it you need some friends who will hold you accountable you need some friends but the, the scripture says the words of a friend can be trusted. You need some people who will love you enough to stab you in the front, not the back, and tell you some areas of your life that need to be adjusted. You see, in the real church, the real authenticated church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they gather for worship. They grow in these small groups. But notice this: they also give. They give, and how do they give? They give in their time, talent, and their treasure. They give in ministry. They use their gifts. They use their money. They use all these things, because it says, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. And here's what you gotta realize. As these families, uh, as these Christians are are becoming Christians, they had been Jews, or perhaps they had been in pagan religions there in, in the Roman culture, as they're moving out of these things, a lot of them are being ostracized by their families. They're, they're being uh, being kicked out of their homes. They're losing jobs. And so now this group of, of early Christians, they're having to band together. And they're having to take care of one another. And so it's, it's this beautiful thing. They had everything in common and they didn't see their possessions as their own. But they saw them as God had given them these possessions to leverage for His glory and for the good of those people there in their families. And you see, that's why we use our gifts. That's why we use our time uh, to serve in the ministries of the church. That's why we use the gifts God's and the abilities God's given us. And we use our treasure. I'll just say this to you. Uh, I unapologetically uh, give all three of those things to the church, why? because the church is the one organization that will live on until eternity. And so don't get me wrong, I think scholarship funds are great, don't get me wrong. I think uh, research for diseases are great. Don't me, and by the way, I give to some of those things. But the one organization I'm gonna always give to the most is the one organization that's gonna live on until eternity. Why? Because Jesus said this, don't store your treasures on the earth where thieves and moss and rust destroy, you should put your treasure in heaven where it's gonna be there for an eternity. And so there's a generosity of time, talent of treasure in the church. You see, the real church gathers, gathers for worship, grows, grows in a group. There's this community, you are made for that. And then there is this generosity, there's this giving into the ministry, there's real ministry that's happening there and people are invested in it. And then notice this, this fourth thing, there is this going, or there is this proselytization, there is this witness that goes out. Because it says down there in verse 47, And having favor of all people, the Lord added to their number day by day all who were being saved. And I would just simply say this to you, how how wouldn't that grow? I mean, you you look at this group of people, just in these little verses we've looked at, look what they're doing. They're always hanging out. They're always having fun. They're eating meals together you know they're laughing you know there's there's joy man they're taking care of one another's needs man they they are they're helping one another grow they're they're helping one another overcome sin and problems and habits and, and heartbreaks and all these kinds of things and as people on the outside are looking at this I mean they have to go I want to be a part of that why would I want to be a part of that And it says this then the Lord added to their number. I imagine he did, because that is contagious. And friend, I would just simply say this to you. You know, if you and I would just go out and live our lives in in community with one another, and then we invite some of these other people into it, and we'll just be salt, and we'll just be light, and we'll just be people that have hope in what seems like a very hopeless world. If we'll respond differently to the circumstances around us than other people, and I have this feeling that God will do something phenomenal. But I would say this. If we never open our mouth and witness, if we if we never share our faith, and here's the question you got to ask yourself, do we really believe in this kind of faith? Do we really believe that Jesus is the way? Because if Jesus is the only way a person goes to heaven, how much do I have to hate or despise somebody not to share that truth with them, not to try to invite them in, To the hope that we say that we have you see a real church right they're going to gather they're going to grow they're going to give they're going to go but why does all of this happen because of this thing called the gospel see there's this this all these other things we do the giving the going the gathering the worship it's all because of this thing called the holy spirit that knits us together And here's the beautiful part about that. Whenever we believe in this gospel through the Holy Spirit that knits us together, then we have family all over the world. You know, I'm blessed because over the years I've met relationships with people in places like England who are believers, places like New York City who are believers, other parts of the world. And the moment I meet them, because they have the holy spirit in them because we are all a part of the same family the same kingdom we all worship the same lord regardless of our cultural context boom there's an instantaneous connection and you see here's the thing if you find yourselves wanting to be away from church if you find yourselves trying to be estranged from church friend you've got to ask yourself the question do you really have the gospel of god in your life because it causes these other things to happen, because they're unnatural. It's unnatural we would do those things unless there's something bigger in us that's doing it. You see, a divided world needs a united church. Say it with me, a divided world needs a united church. See, a divided world needs a united church, so why is it not working? Like, why is it that in America today that the church is depleted? And it truly is. Do you realize that we have more pastors every month, about 1,500, that walk out of ministry? They're burned out. I mean, they're worn out. Um, During COVID-19 in particular, we've lost so many pastors. We've lost a lot of churches. Um, We lose lose churches every single month. We can't replace the amount of churches we lose fast enough. You realize that seminaries have fewer and fewer people that are being called to ministry and actually going and, and training for that. So what, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? Because here's, here's the truth. God is always going to have a church, or a real church, or a, the remnant of the church, if, there, if it has to be that way, in every time in history. Because we, until Jesus comes back, are in the church age. And As I shared a few weeks back that the gospel has just been rejected from the time of Jesus to now, the gospel in every nation that the gospels made it to it's always been rejected. And you say, why though today in America, where you do realize that if people in America die and go to hell, it's going to be because they drove by five churches on their way to soccer practice or cheerleading or wherever it is they were going. You do realize that, right? Like there will be no excuses because America has had from sea to shining sea, has had the gospel proclaimed over every square inch of it more than any other nation, probably in the history of the world. So why is it not working today? I'd give you three reasons that you can write these down. The first is this consumerism, consumerism. You know, we have started treating the church not as people, the called out ones who are called to it, not people who are going to be servants of it, but we are consumers of it. Um, I'll, I'll just say it like this. I'm a pretty nice man. You know, I uh, I don't intentionally run over squirrels when I see one run out in front of me. Um, you know, I try to be nice to babies. Um, I, I do all those things. But there's one thing that happens to me. and I'll just just tell you this, and it really kind of irks me. All right, pet peeve, pastor pet peeve. I'll be in our lobby. I'll be somewhere, and someone will use this particular phrase. They will say, "Hey, pastor," uh, and I'll say, "Hey, I'll meet them." And I'll oh, tell me about yourself. They'll tell me, and they'll say, "Well, we're just checking out your church and uh, seeing if this is you know going to be a fit." Now I understand really and truly the heart behind that comment, I get that, but you understand the church is not like your prom date that you're checking out, okay? The church is the bride of Christ and God calls you to a church. Being the called out ones, He calls you to a church. And so we have some folks that as long as the church is quote unquote doing what I think they ought to do, I'll keep showing up, I'll keep supporting, I'll keep serving, I'll keep doing all of those things. And it's consumerism that's killing us because what happens is this. Well, when this church offers this, I'm going to go there. There's some people today that have two and three churches. And I would simply say this. That means you're not committed to one of them. Like we need people in every local church who are called by God to those churches. Consumerism needs to go. Called men and women need to become the norm. Here's the second thing is this materialism. It's materialism. You know what's interesting is this: today in America, people ha- carry more consumer debt than anything else. Um, we have been conditioned uh, by messages of discontentment across our televisions for ages. We are constantly told that we need the latest and greatest iPhone. We need the latest and greatest car. We got to up update our house. We got to do all these things. I mean, if it's on HG and TV. We should look like that. And because of this constant battle of discontentment, what it means is this, is if we finally get something paid off, we go right into debt on something else. And I've met people who, through the years, they've said, you know, Pastor, whenever I get to this certain level of income, I'm I'm going to be able to give. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be able to do those things. And here's the truth of the matter. No, you won't. Like we never ever arrive at that place. Like generosity is something that you do no matter what income level that you are at. And here's what I wonder. I wonder how much our materialistic desires have have hindered the gospel, have hindered the ministry from literally going further around the world, speeding up this eventual gospel going to all the nations so that what Christ may return. I wonder how many vacations we've gone on, how many cars we've driven, how many houses we've bought, how many things we've done quite honestly that really weren't in God's will for us because we couldn't afford it. you know here's the thing, and God tells us there's a certain level that we have to give it's the tenth, and then he tells us that there's this this level of offering or generosity, and then he gives us the freedom to do what we want to with the rest of our income, but the truth of the matter is. There's many people who never get to the the first part, where they're able to do the tithe, the 10%, and then even get generous beyond that. Why? Because they live well beyond their means. And listen to me, church. This is a problem. This is a problem. It's it's a problem in every church. It's a problem in this church. It's a problem. But it speaks more to the condition of us and it speaks to why the the gospel and the church is, is in the shape it is. There's a third thing, and I'll be done, and it's simply this. It's individuality. It's individuality. So, what do you, what do you mean by this? Um, we are entitled people. In fact, I, I hear all the time people say, Oh, you know, the millennials, they're so entitled. I'll be candid with you. Um, every generation is entitled. Whether it be 80 year olds or eight year olds, in our hearts, by nature, we think we deserve something. Maybe we think we aren't deserve something because we've lived long maybe we just think we deserve something because we haven't lived that long we believe in this individuality and entitlement and so we work hard and and, and don't get me wrong i'm a, I'm an exer, and my generation came from the most divorced parents in American history and so I think there's a lot of people in my generation that really tried to make things better for their children I know I've tried to do that I hope I've been able to balance giving my children a good life with also being biblical and godly in the way that I've handled uh, our priorities of time and money and all those things. But the truth of the matter is this, we have people that sacrifice greatly so that their children, and, and I'm not picking on you, but it's just the reality that our, so our children can uh, be on sports teams that travel all across the country um, so that our kids can you know be a part of experiences that are wonderful. But they're not eternal. And I wonder if in our homes, if with our children, we help them understand that they are not the center of the universe, that it is ultimately not your, your happiness that's the most important thing, but it's His glory and your holiness that are the most important things. And that we realize that it's not about, you know, we've we've so in our culture uh, gotten to this thing called family time, which I love the fact families spend time together. But do you realize when we go to heaven, there's going to be no such thing as that? Like, there'll be no such thing as that. We are going to spend time in the corporate family together. And so, friend, listen to me. There is a method and a form of what I will call churchianity that is blessed in America all the time. That is not Christianity. There's a, there's a methodology by which people will tell you that you can go to heaven, but in, end, in the end, it ultimately will lead you to your destruction. Second uh, Timothy 4.3 says this, there's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. See, there's some people who already don't like what I've been telling you, although it's straight out of the word. It is straight to where we live. It says, there's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Basically, they will find people who will tell them what they want to hear. And sometimes just because you get told what you want to hear, it doesn't mean that's what you ought to hear. And friend, I just wondered today if maybe you find yourself realizing, you know what, the church is not a place, it is a people and I need to be a part of those people. And and that you've seen what makes up that church, that they, they gather, they grow, they go, they give, and they do it. Why? Because of the gospel. And ultimately, you see why it's not working. And maybe you realize that you have need for a savior. You know, friend, I'd love to help you know this Jesus. I'd love to help you step into His family. I'd love for you to be a part of this thing called the church. And you could, you could do that. And the way that's done is by just acknowledging that you need Jesus. And you could do that in this way. You could bow your head. You can make my words your words. You can say, "Dear Jesus." I ask that you'll forgive me of my sins in the best way I know how. I want to invite you to come to my life be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me in a moment, I'm going to give you some instructions. Maybe you've been one of those who have been on the sidelines for a long time and you've kind of been on the fray, like you kind of sneak into church, you sort of watch online, but you realize something that that ain't, that ain't getting it. Because you see, all those dynamics make you a part of a real church. And to do that, you've got to commit to a localized expression of that. And maybe you need to join this church. i want to give you some instructions on how you can do that. Maybe you find yourself just in the season in which we live with all the things going on, overwhelmed by the cares of this world. You just need someone to pray with you. Love to help give you that instruction. So if you would simply do this, If you would just there on the screen below, um, just text the number, one person from our staff will reach out to you and they will help you uh, understand the prayer you prayed, help you join this church, and simply just minister to you if you feel overwhelmed. Friends, I love the fact that I get to be a part of the one organization that's going to live on into all eternity, and I hope and pray that that excites you as well. Let me just speak a word of blessing and let us go out in the world this week and let us be the United Church. Let us quit picking on people with our own preferences of what it means to live out the church. Let us us be people of biblical principle and excited that people are still in the journey. And I pray in the days ahead that you and I would experience what Jesus said. He said, upon this rock, meaning himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell not prevail against it. Father, I pray that by the power of Jesus that you would build this church and it would be a true expression of what you would want it to be. I pray that we would take away all of our tradition. We'd take away all of our preferences. We'd take away all the privileges that we've had as we've maybe made a church in our own image. God, would you reconstruct now because of these unique time in our history, these unique circumstances you've allowed in our world that you would reconstruct a church that would honor you. And I pray in this localized expression, at least another 150 years or until you come back. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you soon.